folks welcome back to another episode of triple g gingers gridiron and golf podcast i am your host stephan kerr aka the ginger and uh, you can hear the excitement in my voice folks it is Ryder cup week and we are here and we've got a full episode for you today breaking down everything you need to know about the uh, the Ryder cup the 2021-22 PGA Tour season and of course week two and the upcoming week three in the NFL football season so we're here and ready to go but before we get over to this week's episode and and dive right into that wanted to take a step back and thank uh, the guests from last week Paul Tesori, Webb Simpson's caddy a great 40 minute chat and talk with him folks thanks for all your support that was our most listened episode um, of season two here since we've uh, been back going again since uh, early June. So thank you for all your support. Make sure you're following us along on uh, all of our social media outlets, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we posted up uh, Paul and Michelle's uh, foundation info. So a uh, great way to learn more about and get involved with and possibly donate to uh, some special needs children's and young adults and families in need, not only in the Florida area, locally you can find yours and worldwide. So a great cause and uh, great things they're doing for Paul and Michelle Tesori. So thanks uh, for joining us and check out that info. Let's dive into this week, folks. We've got two amazing guests on. We got PJ Tour staff writer Cameron Morfitt's going to join us, uh, fresh off the Fortinet Championship out in Napa. Napa. He's going to be flying home, so he's joining us, um, jamming us in his schedule and. We're also going to be joined by PGA Tour veteran for 20-plus years out on the PGA Tour and the Champions Tour from St. Louis, Jay Delsing. Um, he's a major player who's played in a bunch of different majors, seven or eight majors, and some of the uh, the venues that we're going to talk about. So uh, we're excited to bring both of those guests on this week, and we've got a jam-packed fall guest list uh, coming up. We're going to announce more soon, so let's dive right into it. We're going to pass it along, and we're going to get Cameron on the line here. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a big welcome to PGA Tour staff writer, author to the Lucky Boy book, and I believe he's uh, in the San Francisco airport right now. Uh, we got Cameron Morfitt on the line. Cameron, you with us? I am with you, yes. Beautiful. So you're fresh off uh, off of the uh, the event in Napa. How did it go out there to start the 21 season? Yeah, it was good. It was interesting because it turned into a Cal-Stanford game, which is uh, obviously a big deal in the Bay Area. Um, there was basically Max Homa, who's a, a Cal guy, going uh, up against uh, really the only other guy who could win at the end, uh, uh, <laughs> who was a Stanford guy, so uh, Maverick McNeely. So it was a golf version of the big game, and uh, I think that kind of was fun, and, and uh, those guys know each other, obviously. Um, so, it, yeah, kind of localized it a little bit. Yeah, for sure, no doubt. What uh, what was the feeling on the on the golf course? Did the uh, did the guys like it out on tour? There was is it something that they they enjoy going out to to that type of event and and being in Napa. Or... Yeah, for sure. It's it's 
the the eating is so good. I mean, the, just the restaurant scene is just spectacular. Uh, Thomas Keller, of course, the French Laundry, that's the sort of the big famous one. A lot of those guys go up, make the pilgrimage and, and, and go and, and do that. But then he has uh, one or two others as well. And then, and then there's just a ton of good restaurants that uh, you can go to. One's called Gott's Roadside, uh, which is basically a hamburger place um, that's really, really good. But it also has like an incredible salads and <laughs> tacos and everything else. So uh, the eating scene in Napa is, is spectacular. Uh, Napa, Sonoma, any, anywhere around there is really good. So um, really fun week in, in, as, as that goes. And uh, I, would, I would call it a, a more fit major, even though it's, uh, you know, not, not one of the quite one of the more prestigious tournaments. Uh, uh, I, I still enjoy it so much that, uh, that I really, I really uh, try, to, try to make it a, a stop every year. Oh, that's awesome. Kim, how, how come they, you know, for our, for our listeners and our general listeners out there, how come the PJ Tour made this change uh, over the last few years here to start this season and this flip over and this exchange from the end of one season to the beginning of the new season? Why'd they make it so fast? Why wasn't why didn't they stick with the traditional, you know, go out to Hawaii and do do that thing at the start of uh, of the new year of the calendar year? Well, you know, I think that the whole gist or the whole crux of the of the PJ Tour is really. Um, in addition to providing great entertainment for people like us, is to provide playing opportunities for the best players in the world. And so um, if those playing opportunities are not uh, on the PGA Tour, they're going to be found somewhere else. So the, the sort of the, the gist of it is, is to fill that um, demand in the market. Um, and, and basically it's a member organization. It's, it, it exists, you know, for the players, it's for the fans, but it's also for the players and they want, uh, opportunities to play and they're not, they're not all superstars. Uh, the superstars tend to like to take a little bit of time off, especially in the fall. Um, but there's a lot of guys who are trying to climb the ladder and trying to be, trying to you know, get to that next level. Max Homa having, uh, you know, won just yesterday. He's a prime example of a guy who's trying to get to that next level. And uh, the fall events are, are a big, uh, a big time for that. You can get a little bit ahead of the game in the FedEx Cup chase. Uh, you can you can start to bank some points. Um, so the, the fall tournaments are pretty important. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And you've, and you've seen you know, the opportunities taken by some of these guys, like you said, to, to get into these fields and, and really start to play. Um, I'm going to take you in another direction here. Um, who's, a, who's a breakout player for you that you see in, in this 2021-22 season here? Um, is it the likes of a Max Homa or a Cameron Champ or somebody you've got at your radar, you know, in that 50 to maybe 60, 70 range on the, on the world golf rank, ranking that you feel is really going to have a, a good year here coming up? You know, I, I think Homa's going to have a big year. He's starting to really believe in himself. And one of the things that's happened with him, and I, you can read about this on PGATour.com, is he has, when he's won, he's won three times now. Every time he's won, he's played that week with some really big name players. So uh, in one of his victories, he played, he played with Rory McIlroy. In one of his victories, he played with Dustin Johnson. This week in Napa, when he won the Fortinet Championship, he played with John Rahm, world number one, for the first 36 holes and beat him. And then he played with Phil Mickelson, a, a Hall of Famer, of course, 
on Saturday and on beat Saturday, him. Yeah. And so what's happening with home is he's starting to really get some self-belief. That was the last piece of the puzzle for him. Um, he really is starting to believe in himself, even though like his caddy was always in his ear telling him how great he was. Other people were telling him how great he was. You know, you have to believe it yourself. And he's starting to believe it. So I think that's important. I do think Maverick McNeely, who finished second in Napa yesterday, I think he's going to have a big year. He acquitted himself quite well. He just really had that one slip up on the 17th hole. So I think he's going to bounce back. I see him winning this year. Uh, that's awesome. A couple of good, good players to look out for for, for our listeners out there. Um, as we embark on the, into 2022 and we turn that calendar year and we, we hit, you know, um, April and May, you know, it really sets up nice, doesn't it? And, and speak to this, Cameron, on, on this year's majors coming up and some of the historical venues that we have uh, for the U.S. Open, the Open Championship, and the PGA. Yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, I mean, it's we got a good season coming up. We just finished a, a great season, too, with – with uh, I think we had two U.S. Opens, we had two Masters. Uh, just with the Super season was was really incredible. Um, so yeah, it's I'm excited about sort of where we are in in the game, and um, I think this week is going to be interesting too. And uh, obviously, we haven't had a Ryder Cup in three years, I guess. Yep. Um, usually, it's a, a biennial event. Um, so I think there's even more pent up excitement for that. Um, uh, which I will definitely be watching on TV along with everybody else. What's uh, what do you see as, as the the highlight of of the tour season? You know, when I when I start to look at it, I I look at a nine week stretch from like we talked about there with the the PGA at, at Southern Hills, all the way down to you know the Open Open Championship at uh, at St Andrews. To me, that's the that's the core stretch. That's the highlight. You know, you got Charles Schwab at Colonial. You got Murfield. You've got the RBC hopefully up here north of the border at at St. George's, um, U.S. Open at the Country Club. Is that is that the highlight of the of the 2021-22 season for the PGA Tour? That you know nine ten week stretch on those historical venues and and all those great events just sandwiched nicely in there. Yeah, you know I think it really starts in March at the Players Championship. Uh, that's that's of course the the uh, PGA Tours. Uh, crown jewel and it's a big it's a big event it's a big deal um justin thomas of course uh, will be defending but then as you said you just go on down the line right as soon as you as soon as you get to march you, you, you're like well the masters is right around the corner then after the masters you get the pga now which has become a, a may event um uh, so it's just it's just one right after the other they're 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 really just stacked up and as you said there's some historic venues um this year so st andrews probably is the one that's sort of pops the most because it's um really i think i think it would be great if the british open were played at st andrews every year but um but but the country club in brookline is is going to be fun too there's a lot of history there as well with francis we met and what have you so um so yeah it's it's going to be a neat neat season coming up i'm looking forward to it oh that's awesome I'd be, uh, I'd be uh, definitely yelled at for sure by a lot of our listeners if I didn't uh, ask you the question about our Canadians and us being a North of the Border podcast up here in Toronto. Um, do you, what's the effect of, of or, or how effective are these nine Canadians now um, going to be on tour? And is there a little bit of a buzz? Are you starting to feel a little bit of a buzz out there 
in terms of some of the momentum picked up by the likes of, you know, Corey Connors and Mac Hughes and some of these guys. And do you see, um, you know, one of these Canadians getting to the next level and possibly winning one of those majors that, uh, that we just discussed? Yeah. I, you know, I, and is, isn't one of them Taylor Pendrith? Is that one yep. of them? Yeah. yeah. You got He's, it. Taylor uh, Pendrith. Hearing, they're hearing, hearing some buzz about that guy. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a little bit, sometimes these guys can be a little uh, mercurial. Adam Hadwin was a guy who I actually covered the tournament that he won at Valspar one year and he beat none other than Patrick Cantlay down the stretch. So, um, you know, but, but Adam kind of, he's there and he's not there. He's playing, he was playing very well in Napa, um, this, this tournament that just ended for, I believe the first round or so. And I'm not really sure where he ended up. So you have to put it all together. You got to get four rounds together or minimize your bad rounds really. Um, and then you've got to make the putts that the, the Corey Connors, uh, you know, we've seen him a lot on television on the weekends. Um, I think, you know, the next step for him is to convert these chances into actual wins. And he's done it, you know, once or twice. It's, it's not that he hasn't won. It's just that I think as many times as he's been there, I think, you know, he needs to he probably feels himself that he needs to actually win a little bit more frequently. Um, he's a great, great player. And, and of course, winning just means, you know, making the putts at the right time and, and really coming through in the pressure moments. So, um, you know, I think he's super, super close, Corey Connors. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether he can, you know, take it to the next, the next level. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's, let's switch over to the Ryder Cup now. That gives our listeners a good preview for the, for the upcoming PGA Tour season. And we, we find ourselves up in Kohler, Wisconsin at, at Whistling Straits. Is, is this golf course going to uh, steal the show this week, uh, Cameron? Visually, it will steal the show. It's gorgeous. Absolutely. Go- you know, the views are stunning. It's right on the water. It's, you know, it's a, it's a course that was really built for television, as so many courses are. Um, it's similar to Kiowa, where, where we saw the PGA Championship, where we saw Phil Mickelson win. Um, it's a big brawny, uh, course where it helps to be pretty long. And I think it'll be set up to, to favor longer hitters. Um, since the U S is, is the home team, they can set it up however they want. Um, we'll see what happens. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. I mean, you know, the first player to win a big event at that golf course was, uh, was Martin Keimer, who's from Germany, and he's now actually a vice captain on the European rider, rider side. So um, it's not that the Americans have, have necessarily dominated there. Um, you know, it's, I think the Europeans are going to be able to play it well, too. What's going to be the, uh, and I agree, I think, I think it's going to be a very uh, tightly contested matchup, matchup the whole way through. What's the key to victory for this American side? Is it just the fact of getting along and finding a way to get through some of those team sessions and, and foursomes and four balls? Or is it just kind of playing their own game and, and having a little bit more fun? The key to victory for the U.S. side is going to be the youth. It's going to be these young guys, uh, the rookies. There are six rookies on this team. That's half the team. So as the rookies go, that's pretty much how the U.S. team is going to go. Um, you cannot rely on just the biggest names on the team. Uh, you don't even have Tiger there anymore. Phil is a vice captain. Uh, Dustin Johnson hasn't played his best golf since early in the season. Brooks Kepka is a little bit of a question mark with a, with a potential wrist issue. 
it's really going to fall to the rookies, the guy like the guys like Scotty Scheffler, um, who haven't really done this before. Colin Morikawa, another another great example. You know, at times the hottest player in the game this this past season. Um, can he can he be that superstar that we've seen uh, in winning the PGA Championship and in winning the British Open? Um, can can he can Colin Morikawa sort of carry this team? Can Jordan Spieth play like vintage 2015 Jordan Spieth? I think these are these are going to be the questions that are really going to determine whether the U.S. can can pull this thing out. Oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, well, enjoy uh, enjoy uh, watching along with all of us. Have a safe uh, trip home. I'll give you one last question. How's your golf game? Not too bad, actually. I played yesterday and uh, played on the other course. There's two courses at Silverado, and we played on the other course uh, yesterday morning, and it was it was fun. I, I think I I think I shot 81, and uh, which for me is not that bad. Uh, made a lot of pars and uh, had had a really good time. It's kind of a magical Northern California morning, so really enjoyed it. Beautiful. Well, like I said, safe travels home. <laughs> appreciate your time. Appreciate you doing this, and uh, we'll catch up with you uh, in the new year once we get. Uh, full systems go into that 2021-22 schedule. Okay, no worries. Thanks for having Amazing chat with Cameron. Not only talking about the 2021 and 22 uh, season on the PGA Tour, but a little bit of uh, food info for uh, for those winos and foodos out there. Uh, now you know that Napa is a nice little spot for uh, for both those and some places to go other than uh, just some golf out there at Silver Silverado Resort, uh, which Cameron talked about. Before we get over into the Ryder Cup week, as you can tell, I'm super excited to, to jump over to that. Let's talk about the uh, the PGA Tour. And I'm going to talk to Jay Delsing when he joins us a little bit later on here in the show uh, about this a little bit more. But uh, let's start with the majors. Does the PGA Tour have a better lineup than in 2021 and 2022 for majors? Uh, not much better than this on a year-in, year-out basis when you look over the last 7 to 10 years for uh, for our majors coming up here on the PGA Tour and the venues. Uh, we've got the traditional Augusta National on April 7th till 10th at the Masters. And we've got Southern Hills. We know um, some of the championships that have been hosted there. What a great venue. They've got the redesign. They tested it with the uh, the Champions Tour last season, I believe, with the PGA and the PGA Championship of America. We'll be heading there on May 19th to the 22nd. The U.S. Open will be heading to one of my favorite venues at the historic Brookline Country Club. Uh, been a while since we've seen this venue on there. Um, last time I remember it was 99 at Brookline, so it'll be nice to get back there and uh, be able to enjoy Brookline and the Country Club and what that has to offer and to see the golf course and get reacquainted with that golf course. And of course, July 14th to July 17th at the historic St. Andrews. Um, I know a lot of people have made a push to have uh, St. Andrews be the Open Championship venue. I don't. I'm not necessarily on board. I don't like the idea. I like having the rotation that the RNA has for that Open Championship. So um, I would vote nay on that. But uh, hey, you, pound for pound, stacking them up four for four, uh, you're not going to get bet much better than that in terms of majors and venues. So I'm really excited for the majors in 2022 for the PGA Tour. I'm also really excited. For a couple of uh, golfers, we talked about Maverick McNeely. We've seen Max Homa um, get his victory here to start off. But uh, I think a couple uh, players that uh, that we could look out for. One is the Northwestern grad Dylan Wu. 
Um, I'm going to talk to him brief to Jay briefly about Dylan um, in uh, later on in the episode. And another uh, that we've seen at the Travelers go toe to toe with Harris English in that uh, eight or nine hole playoff, and that's Kramer uh, Hickok. I think uh, both of these guys have a chance for a breakout year. And there's always one or two that are going to break out on the PGA Tour. So it'll be interesting to see who uh, who's going to be able to break out this year. Hopefully it's one of our nine Canadians that we talked about with Cameron that can come out on tour. Maybe a Taylor or Pendrith or an Adam Stevenson. Um, a Roger Sloan. We've seen him get into a playoff as well. Um, maybe Hadwin or Hughes or Connors can push it over top and uh, win one of those elusive major championships um, that everybody's looking to uh, to garner here. So it'll be interesting to see, but uh, we'll be following along closely for the 21-22 uh, PGA Tour season. But let's get to the crown jewel of what is happening in golf right now. And folks, that is the 2020-2021 slash 2021 Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits, uh, just outside of Sheboygan County in Wisconsin, Pete Dye Design, 77.2 rating, 152 slope. It can be stretched out to 7,790 yards, just shy of 7,800 yards. I'm sure, I'm sure Steve Stricker, Captain Stricker, won't have it uh, stretched out that far. I would imagine, um, after looking at some of the scorecards from some of the great championships that they've hosted, which I'll talk about here in a second, he'll have it somewhere in between that 73 to 7,500. I know it's playing firm and fast, um, like uh, Paul had talked about um, and like Cameron had talked about as well. So um, it won't be playing as long as it uh, as it could or as long as we've seen it. But uh, what a venue. Hey, uh, flat piece of, piece of land that... Uh, Pete Dye was told to make look like Bally Bunyan and boys and girls. He did a hell of a job. I hope you enjoy the coverage. It's starting fresh out the gate off the Golf Channel at 8 a.m. on Friday morning. Saturday morning, you can pick it up here um, at uh, 9 a.m. on TSN. It's on all day long and uh, Sunday starting off at 12 for the singles. If you're not uh, familiar with the Ryder Cup, um, five sessions foursomes and four ball Friday and Saturday and then singles on Sunday it's um, eight out of the 12 players play in each session of the team session on uh, Friday and Saturday and then all 12 singles matches or all 12 players will be involved in a singles match on Sunday making it available for 28 points it takes a team 14 points to uh, to retain the cup Europe is the current holder of that cup after winning it at home uh, last year or in 2018 and then uh, 14 and a half for that American squad to flat out win that cup away from this European squad but Whistling Straits it's hosted uh, the PGA three times in 2004 2010 and 2015 uh, brought onto the scene in 1998 designed like I said by by Pete Dye and uh, VJ won that first championship we all remember it the playoff three-hole aggregate with uh, Justin Leonard and Chris DeMarco, I believe, 2010. We all know that. That was the Dustin fiasco with the uh, the bunkers being declared as waste areas and him putting the club down on 18. Um, and, and uh, you know, or sorry, the bunkers not to be being de- declared as waste areas and him putting the club down and the whole penalty strokes, penalty shot uh, there falling down to, uh, to T5. 
and then in 2015 it reemerges with Jason Day with the victory. But one thing in in my research that I found is, and maybe a reason why um, this U.S. team picked this venue, you know, DJ T5 all the way back in in 2010 and 2015 Jordan Spieth second place outright, Brooksy T5, DJ again T7, Tony Finau um, coming on the scene then T10, JT. Uh, T18, and when you look back at these these most recent events at, at Whistling Straits over the last decade, the only real player of any substance on the European squad to show any form is Rory. Uh, T3 in 2010 and T17 in in 2015. So um, maybe that American squad and Steve Stricker really feeling like they have a little home home um, course advantage with some of their big guns. I know they have six rookies, and we're, we're going to get into that a little bit later. But, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the course is, is laid out in terms of yardage and, and set up beyond, you know, it being firm and fast and, and the weather conditions that uh, don't really look like they're going to come too much into effect. Maybe a little bit of wind on Friday could be gusting around 30, 35. Um, but when we look back at this things from you know the start of this Ryder Cup 1927 to to current you know U.S. still overall um, as we head into our 41st Ryder Cup here you know 2614 it, it, it's it's a dominating record but when you dive closer in and you look at this thing from 1979 and onwards um, we're 11 eight and one and that 11 eight and one ain't ain't coming from the red white and blue. It's coming from the blue and the yellow, and that's Europe. Um, so they've also won seven out of them that last nine here, and, and they they steal this away from from uh, the USA here in 2020-2021, and we're talking about eight out of the last ten. Um, and you're going all the way back to Brookline before you know that's that's a long stretch here where. Europe's going to be dominating, and the only two victories both happened on American soil at Valhalla in Kentucky and Hazeltine, uh, I believe, in in uh, Minneapolis area, and and that's it. So this is another crucial hold here, if you will, or hold of serve to use tennis terminology for this U.S. squad, and and as you start to break down this U.S. squad, um, it's it's going to be real interesting. And, and when you look at the golf course, there's a couple big stretches to me that are going to play the crucial, crucial part of these matches and, and the deciding factor as to what happens here. And that's um, right out right out the gate, holes two through five. You know, you, you get off number one, you're going to see some birdies there for sure, especially in that four ball guy's going to be able to hit some hit some drivers and cut the cut the corner a little bit and I know there'll be some nerves you'll see some bad drives but you'll see a lot of good drives out there and and get past the that bunkers on on the right and and be able to get some wedges in their hand and and make some birdies on number 1 but then you get to uh you know 2 through 5 and you've got the 7th handicap hole you've got the 4th handicap hole or the number 4 which is the toughest hole in the golf course rated and the 5th hole which is uh the 5th toughest hole in the golf course so you're talking about three out of the toughest seven right out of the gate in three out of the first five holes so to me the teams or the individual who gets out early um, has that opportunity listen 61 percent of these teams and players who win the first hole win that match so it's those first five holes and and those who have played team match play or individual match play know 
how much at ease you can it's so much easier to ease into the match and get yourself going when you win the first hole or two um, it's tough it's tough when you go two down through four three down through five um, you know two down through eight it, 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 you're you're just fighting all the way back uphill and it, it, not to say that we we don't see comebacks because we do see ebbs and flows and big swings in this event but um you know 61 percent's a pretty good number there so i think right off the hop really pay attention to that board and see you know who's getting out early and then you know i know it's easy and it's the low-hanging fruit but 15 through 18 and it's not because it's the last four holes it's also because it's the same idea. The hay's going to be made on holes 6 through about 14. You're going to see a lot of birdies through there. It's very playable. Um, and and there'll be, I think there'll be a lot of swings because if you don't make birdies and you don't perform, um, you can really kind of gain traction and, and either come back or really put your match away. But when you get down to 15 through 18, if that wind's blowing, listen, 15's the 4th. Handicap hole in the scorecard. 16 is a par five. It's it's rated as a tenth handicap hole, but depending on where Stricker has those tees, you're going to see some fireworks there. You're going to see some eagles. You're going to see some birdies. You know, you you get some drives and second shots going left. You you may get some bogeys and doubles on that par five. So there'll be some fireworks there. And then we all know 17 tough as nails par three can stretch out to uh, 230 yards right on the lake. And then uh, 18 is the second hardest hole on the golf course next to number four, which we talked about earlier there. So to me, it's early and late. This is going to be decided, no doubt. Let's take a look at what we've seen from a from a pairings perspective and a team's perspective before we close out our, uh, you know, my Ryder Cup preview here. And I look at um, today, Tuesday, as I record this podcast, and we'll start with that American side. And we've seen as to what captain stricker put out on the golf course today and that was you know you look at the groups there and he and he put out three he puts out uh bryson scheffler spieth and thomas he puts out cantley dj morikawa shoffley burger english finau and brooks okay to me this shouts four ball pairings you know um bryson and scheffler they can make a whole lot of birdies do you want them in foursomes and to explain to the golfers out there, foursomes is an alternate shot. It's a traditional alternate shot. So there's only um, two balls in play out of the four golfers that are going to be playing on Friday morning. Uh, Captain Stricker has decided to start with uh, foursomes. And it's a it's an historically a, um, a format that Europe has absolutely dominated. And I'll get into that um, in a second here. But um, you break it down, Spieth and Thomas. Listen, um, Jordan Spieth, 7-5-2 all-time here in his four now four appearances, or his first three appearances in this Ryder Cup. He's 5-1 and one in four ball, 0-3 oh in singles. He's talked about how him and JT are going to be paired. JT's talked about it as well, so they're going to be paired up. They're a dominant force here um, in that format, and you're going to need them to dominate that format and i think they're going to be that go-to pairing that you know either that number one or number four pairing in the, in the four ball uh jt's his second appearance in 2018 he, he was four and one he's looking to re you know come back from that and have another good showing and i think Spees his guy um in that four balls cantley and dj 
going to make a whole lot of birdies there. Uh, more cow and Shoffley, solid, solid. Um, Berger and English, I think that's just a pairing. I, I just don't know if you're going to quite see them in four balls. Um, not sure if you want to have two rookies out there. Same with Morikawa and Shoffley. And then Finau and Brooksy. Listen, Finau was uh, was 2-1 and one in his first um, first Ryder Cup in 2018 and uh, didn't play in foursomes. 2-0 and oh in four balls. So, and now you put him with Brooksy, who's 4-3-1 and one all time. He's uh, coming into his, uh, his third Ryder Cup appearance, I believe. So um, to me, that's, that's their four ball uh, pairings. And don't be surprised is, you know, I listened to uh, Strick speak today in his press conference and he talked about a plan and it being set and it's been set for a while. Don't be surprised if you see these partners stick with each other, no matter the format. Uh, we talked about this U.S. dynamic over the last three, four weeks here on this podcast. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Bryson and Scheffler, that's their pairing. And... You know, I see Morikawa and Shoffley maybe in foursomes, but to me, make sure you're following along as Wednesday and Thursday come around in these practice rounds to really see, you know, who he's got out there in terms of Stricker because he's got to figure out this foursomes. Um, They've got to either split or win this thing in this foursomes if they're going to go ahead and take this thing down because, like Cameron said, the key's the rookies. Uh, When you got two or three of them or one or two of them, you can hide them. You know, you can pull the Nicholas Coltart, Colsarts and the, the Andrew Coltart and, you know, the list goes on and on of the, these European rookies that, that played one match out of five or two matches out of five. You know, you sell them once on, on Friday afternoon and, and then you don't see them again till Sunday um, and, and you shove them right in the middle of the singles and, and they're just hidden and they're not really uh, that involved. But when you got six rookies, and I know these are big-time rookies and big-time names and these guys are, are ready to go, but... Um, this is a different pressure. Paul talked about it. And this is a different beast. So uh, that will be the key. And it'll be the key in foursomes to get this U.S. Ryder Cup squad off to a good start. Because if they fall down, um, you know, three and a half to a half like the ladies did. Or, you know, 3-1 early on on, uh, on, uh, on Friday morning. Look out because it's in your head. You've got to play that foursomes again on Saturday morning. And um, it'll be interesting to see. Flipping over to uh, to the European squad to, to end this off here. Only sent out two pairings on here on Tuesday. We've seen uh, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Bernd Wiesberger, Paul Casey, Ian Poulter, um, John Rahm, Shane Lowry, and then we've seen Fleetwood, uh, Tommy Fleetwood and Tyrrell Hatton. To me, this is the foursomes um, pairings. When you look at it, we knew we, I talked about it and I said last week, we know we're going to get Fleetwood and Hatton at some point in time. Those guys are just too close. They played together before. Love the Raman Lowry pairing, uh, putting the world number one with a rook. Um, Poulter, I could see him either playing, uh, I could see him playing with Wiesberger and, and just seeing some of the highlights. He was pretty involved with Baron and really chatting him up. And then um, um, Fitzpatrick and Casey, definitely an option as well. So it'll be interesting to see um, left out and not playing, uh, doing some practicing, obviously, was Westwood, uh, Garcia, uh, Rory was on there as well, and um, the fourth would have been Victor Hovland. So real interesting, but listen, uh, this is a veteran-laden squad. You know, you've got Lee Westwood uh, here for 11 times, Rory McIlroy six times, Paul Casey five times now, um, Garcia 10 times now. 
Poulter seven times now. And and to piggyback on that foursomes point, like you, you look at it, you know, Poulter's five and two in foursomes. Uh, Garcia in both in both team formats, eighteen, eight, and six. Like, you know, twenty four out of thirty two times Garcia's hitting the point, hitting the scoreboard for a squad. Um, you know, Westwood twenty eighteen and six. Rory eleven, eight, and four. Uh, Paul Casey four three and five. Tommy Fleetwood looking to do what JT did and uh, follow up uh, a solid 2018 uh, showing at uh, La Nationale in France there with uh, with a four and one record, you know. And then you've got Lowry and Hovland as your rookies, right? So you, you've got a major championship in in Lowry, and we know um, Hovland's just as good as those any of those American rookies. So um, real interesting. I think once again, and I know it's low hanging fruit, but uh, this is going to be decided by this team format. The U.S. has got to find a way to, um, they can't be behind coming into Saturday afternoon, uh, early into Sunday in the singles. If they're tied or at point eight and a half, seven and a half behind, they've got a shot. If they're nine, seven, ten, six, or nine and a half, six and a half, uh, look out. I think it's too far back. And, you know, you got the likes of Poulter, who's undefeated in singles. Casey, Rory, Westwood all have solid uh, singles records. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but couldn't be more jacked up. Let's talk more about it. Let's flip over and let's get Jay Delsing on the line with us here now. All right, Triple G listeners, let's give a big warm welcome. We were finally able to make it happen. We had to reschedule last time to PGA Tour veteran, current Champions Tour player, St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame member, and host of Golf with Jay Delsing on ESPN 101 in St. Louis, Jay Delsing. Jay, you on the line with us today? I am. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for coming aboard here. And uh, a big uh, big week in terms of uh, not only U.S. golf, but uh, worldwide golf with the Ryder Cup happening. And uh, a lot going on to uh, to end the year and then restart the PGA Tour season for next year. So, But I want to start off with um, with yourself. I know, you know. 565 tour events over the the course of your illustrious career from you know 85 all the way to where we are now um how does it feel to get back out and and play a little bit of golf i know you've been out there on that on the champions tour uh up here in canada for for that shaw event and then uh almost hosting your own event uh, in the st louis area how did that feel oh my gosh it was wonderful you know i haven't played in over six years and uh unfortunately at both events i got uh you know, I got what we golfers don't like to talk too much about, but I actually shanked a couple of balls, which I've never done in my career. So, you know, just about at 60 years old and played forever, you think you've done everything. And then, you know, golf does that. So it was absolutely great. I love the folks in, in Calgary. I love Canadians in general. I'm a gigantic hockey fan. So, uh, I, I'm proud to say Bernie Federko and some of the former blues players are some of my best friends. And, um, Love when I get to come up north. Um, Calgary was a blast. St. Louis event here was a just a home run. It's at the golf course I grew up caddying on and learned the game, and so just wonderful. It, it, it was it was just fantastic. Other than my crappy play, uh, everything else was perfect. Oh come on, you're, you're being a bit hard on yourself there. You you were solid through the first couple rounds. You you struggled in round three, but you you should be proud of that for sure. And like you said, being able to show off, uh, you know, something local was must have been pretty special. Jay, you've you've played on the tour and and you know what it's like 
Um, you know, looking back at your career from, from 85 to 2015, out of those 16 years, you played 25 or more events on that PGA tour. What type of prep um, are these guys doing? And does it differ in terms of, a, let's say, a John Rahm compared to, um, you know, a Dylan Wu or somebody coming out onto the tour in terms of the preparation that they're going to do for this, uh, for this upcoming season? Oh, yeah. The, no question the prep's different. I mean, John Rahm already knows the go- golf courses. He's, he hasn't been out on tour that long. I think it's only his fourth or fifth year, but he knows the golf courses. He knows where to stay. Uh, so much more than a, a, a rookie coming out. Um, I, I think you talked about Wu, who's a, a great player, and I, I, I love watching him. Um, it's, yeah, everyone is different. I mean, playing the, the when you're a, a tour player, your life revolves on the road, and you come home to regenerate and rejuvenate and to do laundry and things like that. And but your life exists out on the road where you're trying to figure out, man, do I like this course? Where do I stay in this city? What, you know, what do I do when I'm here? And, um, and then when you want to break it even further to the golf course specifically, because every golf course has a little different sand, it has different greens, it might have different grasses than what you're used to, to playing on. So there's a, a boatload of things that you need to prepare for. But the beauty of golf is that, you still need to have your short game intact. You still need to knock your four and five footers in just like anywhere else. And you need to stay with the fundamentals that pretty much got you where you are. And so um, it, it, it's, it's different for everyone. A John Rahm world number one is, is, is tackling an event in a much different fashion, even than say a Maverick McNeely would have attacked in his uh, second year this, this past week at the Fortnite championship up in Napa just different for everyone yeah and you're right and it's it's funny you mentioned that we had uh cameron murfott uh pga tour writer on um a little earlier on the show here and he mentioned that same same name maverick mcneely and and his type of prep and what happened there at the the fortinet uh, championship jay what's the hardest part about being on tour you mentioned being on the road is it is it mentally the the grind and the challenge like you've done out there in playing all those events and being out on the road for you know 25 26 weeks is it the physical challenge of just being able to to play golf five six times a week and and put yourself through you know two to four tournament rounds every single week or is it the emotional part of maybe missing some loved ones and some family members and and possibly being a little bit lonely as you're out on that road yeah, I mean, you know, the answer, Stefan, is yes to all of those. I mean, first of all, if you're physically not able to do something, then you're going to start swinging in a way that you're not accustomed to, and that won't last long. You will not last long out there if you're making some sort of manufactured golf swing and and, and not playing, you know, more like what I'd call your authentic way. Uh, mentally, you're going to be limited uh, to um, – to the degree that you can see yourself achieving what you want to achieve. And if you don't truly believe it, then you're screwed and you have no chance because the guys next to you, they believe it and watch what they've accomplished and how they've accomplished it and how they work and walk through fiery situations and, and, and scary situations and stressful situations and come out on top. And that only um, increases their ability to do that the next time or the thought that they can do it the next time, you know, because 
you have to have this incredibly strong belief in yourself to even get out there and try and think what a crazy ass game golf is, right? I mean, it's so unpredictable. Every single week we see someone go, you know, 64, 74, 10 strokes difference in a single 18 hole round of golf. That is a lot of difference, right? So we know that there's a lot of volatility. We know that there's challenges that, you know, bounces, wind, didn't sleep well, uh, injuries, things like that, fights with your girlfriend, wh- whatever the case may be. And it's, it's, um, it's not easy. And, and here's an interesting stat, stuff that I think your, your listeners will enjoy. And, and, and they can check me on this. Every golfer in the PGA Tour makes 80% of their earnings in six, six, six weeks, six tournaments. Wow. So when you're playing well on tour, you can't be afraid. You can't try to keep your position. You have to keep your foot on the gas and you have to play your ass off. And coming down the stretch, a birdie makes twice as much money as a bogey will cost you. So wow. think of it like, so that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's what a tour player thinks about. Those stats are real and that's what, I, and everybody knows them. And um, it's pretty cool. I, I, I mean, I, I didn't know any of that crap when I started playing. And, um, you know, it all kind of evolves. And now we have metrics and we have social media. I mean, in 1984, when I got my card, we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have cell phones. I mean, can you imagine? It's yeah. hard to even imagine a world without that stuff. It's crazy. That just yeah. tells you how old I am. I'm, <laughs> I'm older than the Internet. That's just that. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> Well, you know how to use it now, so that's that's a good thing. Um, barely, at, my man, barely. <laughs> um, we talked with Cameron about um, the upcoming majors in, in as we turn the calendar year into 2022 and and some of the historic venues that we have at Southern Hills and St. Andrews and the Country Club and then obviously um, our, our go-to in Augusta National for the Masters. Talk to us because I looked back on your career and you've been able to play some not only some of the golf courses that that these guys are going to be playing in uh in the majors in 2022 but you've also yourself played majors at these events you've been there when when john daly won the 95 uh british open at st andrews you know you were there when when uh tom kite won the u.s open in 92 at pebble you've played southern hills um on the champions tour in 2013 for a major you've played riviera in 93 so you've played some of these historic venues and you've also played them in majors Talk to us about the venues and talk to us a, a little bit about a major week and maybe what changes. Oh, my gosh, a major week. Well, I, you just have to look at it. So, so what they're trying to do is differentiate, you know, the player and the tournament from all the other events that we have on the PGA Tour, right? And so they're going to penalize you um, dramatically. And they're, they're going to, to put more um, – uh, requirements on more shots so you've got to stay um uh, you've got to hope to and i had a crappy i don't know if we can swear on your uh, podcast oh, we'll yeah. do it let, let her go good we had i have a shitty record in, in majors and uh because my game just wasn't up to snuff when it when it came to the requirements i mean they my my dad was a professional baseball player, played in the big leagues for 10 years. And um, 
you know, was a, a, a sportsman. And he said, I, if I were you, I wouldn't even play in the U.S. Open. And I said, Dad, I've dreamed of being the national, uh, the national Open champion from the country that I live in. I mean, what are you talking about? And he said, they're just out to embarrass you. They just want to make you look bad. They want to make you, you know, when I see guys that are as good as you are shooting 35 over par for the week, you know, what the hell is that? You know, and so everybody's got a different opinion of it. I, a lot of guys used to talk about how trying to prep and trying to play in the U.S. Open would screw up their games, you know, because they got to working it uh, on things that they didn't typically work on and it very seldom ever worked. And it, it, it was tough. But my ver- my take on that, Stefan, is that it, 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 you just needed to have a hell of a lot of balls and you had to have a lot of desire and you had to have a lot of game. And the guys that did that, you know, look at the major champions. It's it's not a who's who. It's a it's a Hall of Fame type list of guys that are that have won are winning majors, and not very often do others sneak in there. So, yeah, I, right. I I didn't mind it. Yeah, you're you're totally right on that, Jay. I'm gonna I'm gonna switch uh, switch gears on you here a little bit, and we're gonna we're gonna bring over to uh, the big event this week into the uh, to the Ryder Cup. We talked to Cameron about it. What's the key to um, victory for both sides here, U.S. and USA and Europe? Cameron mentioned the the six rookies for the USA, um, and were you surprised by the two picks, uh, a couple of the captains' picks by Captain Stricker in terms of Scotty Scheffler and Daniel Berger, um, adding to some of those rookies that he already had on the squad? No, I, and in fact, I'm delighted. I, I think we need new blood in there. I, I love some of the younger players we have, Morikawa. Obviously, the leading point getter uh, is a stud, and he's a young guy. This is going to be his first uh, Ryder Cup match. I'm a Daniel Berger fan. I I think Daniel Berger brings a lot to the table. Um, my biggest complaint bitch about the Ryder Cup is the U.S. does such a poor job of picking venues that give the U.S. some sort of advantage. We have no home field advantage other than the fans and the spectators, which is it's, it's significant, but it's not as significant as the golf courses. And one of the reasons why, when's the last time we've won the Ryder Cup over in Europe? I mean, shit, you got to go way, way, way back. And it's yep. because those guys pick venues that our players don't know. And we pick a play, we pick a venue like Whistling Straits. I played it probably 15 times. It's a great course. It's fun, whatever. But our players have no advantage up there. None. I was, and, it's, I was and it's absolutely asinine, in my opinion, for the PJ of America to choose that venue. But this is a this is about money. Don't forget the the competition's wonderful. This is about money. Yeah. And then and 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 like anything else, this is you know, this is the this is the bus that drives the show here. And these guys, you know, we're going into this thing with no home course advantage, and I really think that's one of the biggest reasons why the U.S. has not done as well. I mean, basically, but as a tour player, if you take me to a course that I've played 15 or 20 times, I'm going to have a great sense of how to play that golf course. I'm going to know the greens way better than someone that's only played it three or four times. And what does the Ryder Cup come down to, Steph? Putting. Putting. Every single damn year it comes down to putting. And we get our asses whipped because you get a guy like Ian Poulter, who is a great putter and a complete pain in everybody's ass. And he's irritating. He's like a rash (laughs) that you can't get to. And 
and he he sticks it in our ear every year because he's a great putter and he knows the greens. It's yep, not because he's beating anybody with his hitting. I'm telling you. No, you're right. And and actually, it was I was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you was, you know, I looked at the forecast this morning while while prepping for our chat here, and you know, you see the wind get up to you know 25 and 30, and he took the words out of my mouth: is does does America have any advantage on that golf course? And and you answered it for me, Jay. What um how important are these captains here? And and you know, because I kind of feel that you know Steve Stricker is is even ultra important this week with with all the dynamics on that u.s squad and 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 you know i don't want to get into it and our most of our listeners know about it and you know you look at who's going to be paired with who and who's not going to be paired with you but how important are these captains um in terms of pairings because to me i I look at podrick and he's just got to let those guys play as i feel stricker may have to manage a little bit more your traditional almost like a baseball manager and managing egos and and all that stuff how important is that going to be? I don't think the egos uh, on the U.S. team are going to matter. I think the Brooks, Kepka, Bryson, both thing was stupid. I think uh, Kepka uh, was the biggest contributor to it. I think it has a lot to do with the Q rating and all that other bullshit that's, you know, the modern game. What I'm, um, what When you play in the European tour, there's a better sense of camaraderie because when you go, and I had Faraday on my show several times, and we talk about this all the time when you go to a, a European event, there's usually one or two hotels. Everybody's traveling in the same uh, kind of caravan. And these guys have developed a, a better sense of um, camaraderie and know one another more so than the U.S. players do because of this constantly being kind of thrust with one another, thrust into the same environment with one another. In the U.S., we travel so freely in between states and things like that, that, you know, the, the, the at the end of, uh, at, at the end of a, a tournament, guys are hopping in their private jets and flying all over the place. You know, yeah. they're not, they're not hanging out together nearly as much. So there's a, I feel like the Euros have a, a built in better sense of camaraderie, but at the bottom line, and you you asked me about the, the, um, the captain's choices, uh, the captain's, uh, the vice captains. And it's, it's a stabilizing influence. And you can look up to somebody and ask them some questions and they can answer it from a perspective that's really important because they've been there before. And that's really, really helpful. But the bottom line comes once the puck drops, but it's about playing. Yeah. Whether you're a captain, whether you think he's a good captain or not, if you don't have execution, if our boys don't execute, Stricker's going to look like an ass and people are going to think he didn't know what he did, what didn't know what he's doing. If our boys execute, he's going to look like a genius. It's like any other sport, you know, that, that you, yes, you need to motivate players. You need to put the, the pairings together in a way that are complementary with, with the, with the guys, but they already know who that is. But guess what? If your game sucks, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, think yeah, about this and... stuff. Think about this too. When and and they're trying to 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 put some gaps in there to to um, help with this issue. But when you compile points over a two year period, you can rack up a hell of a lot of points in the first year and a half and play some really horseshit golf in the last six months and not be worth a damn. 
Yep. And you're, you make it, you can make it on the Ryder Cup team because of your first year and a half in your last six months have been awful. And I got to tell you, that's, that's, that, that's happened before. I remember it happened to Wayne Levy years and years ago where I don't even think he wanted to play because he was playing so poorly. Well, and, you, and, and you look at currently, like, you know, DJ's not showing some great form. Even Colin Morikawa, who we talked about earlier there, you know, there's a reason why he was on the range first this week, yesterday morning, because um, he hasn't, he hasn't, you know, lit it up the last five, six weeks here. No. It's, and again, remember, the guys make 80% of their money in six weeks, six weeks out of 52, man. That's, you know, that's about 12% of the time you're going to be, you know, in a, in a cashable position on tour, it's, you know, it's tough. Yeah, there's no doubt. What um, we're going to bring you back to, uh, to your show now to, to end us off here, Jay. Um, tell us last week, you had an absolutely um, priceless guest on probably a dream for you in, uh, in the golden bear, still the goat in my eyes. Um, Jack Nicholas joined your show. How cool was that interview? Tell us a little bit about it. Tell us where we can find you um, at your Twiddle handle, handle at your show, and uh, we'll let you go here. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, you know what? I, I've, I've had the opportunity. Jack was just unbelievable. So gracious, so kind to, 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 to visit with me. We talked for about 30 minutes. We talked about growing up. We talked about how in, the, in, in today's day, you know, parents and coaches don't let their kids play multiple sports. Jack thinks that's an absolute, you know, we're doing everyone a disservice. Um, he, he was just terrific. He talked about, he really got animated when we talked about his golf course design. And, and he also talked about how he's caddying for Barbara now because Barbara is doing such great philanthropic work and Jack supporting her. And they've raised over $200 million with this foundation. They started in 2004, um, the Nicholas foundation, uh, for children's charities and, and just remarkable stuff. But I got to tell you about Oh, gosh, it might have been back in April. I had Wayne Gretzky on. And Wayne was just amazing. Same as Jack. So gracious. So kind. What some of the stories he told. We talked about his dad, Walter, when he passed away up in Brantford and how everybody came outside. And in the wonderful tribute that hockey uh, players do for one another, tap their sticks on the pavement as the hearse drove through. We just talked about all sorts of really, really cool stuff. And so I've had some great guests. You can find me, I don't know about social media. I think uh, if you just look up Jay Delsing, I got a Twitter handle. I don't know what it is. Uh, I got an Instagram too and Facebook and stuff like that. But my podcast can be heard on um, on uh, Podcast One, Apple, Spotify. It's Golf with Jay Delsing. I think if you just put Jay Delsing or Golf with Jay Delsing in, um, uh, your search bar, something will come up if you can find me. I, I wish I was more savvy. Actually, I don't. I don't really care too much for social media really <laughs> stuff, so who the, who the hell knows? Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with that. It's Our listeners, they'll find you at, at Jay Delsing, and uh, we'll uh, we'll post it up there, make sure they know where they can find that uh, that Wayne Gretzky interview and that Jack Nicholas interview. And Hey, you know how much we love our hockey up here. Uh, thank you for your time. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, really appreciate it. Oh my gosh. Thanks so much for having me, but I have a website, uh, jdelsingolf.com that hosts all of my, uh, my shows. There's about 150 of them on there. If anybody cares to listen, if they're bored, uh, they can check out some of those fun interviews as well, but um, love your show, man. Keep doing it and let's talk again.
for sure. We'll, uh, we'll catch up once the, uh, the new year hits and we get into the season and, um, make sure I'll make sure I'll be uh, following along there. And if uh, you get back out there playing, I'll, uh, sure to send you a message and, and cheer you along as you, as you play. I really appreciate the support. Thank you. Thanks, Jay. We'll talk soon. Okay. What a great chat with Jay. What a great way to end it off. So candid, so honest. We're going to have him back on in the new year. Uh, we've made a good connection with Jay and a real good guy out of the St. Louis area. Make sure you check out um, his podcast and listen to those two great interviews with uh, two of the all-time greats. What an opportunity. Um, definitely wouldn't turn any of those down here on Triple G, even though we're a golf and gridiron uh, podcast opportunity to uh, interview Wayne Gretzky. How can you pass that up? Folks, that's your PGA Tour and your Ryder Cup preview. Hey, we couldn't cover it more in depth. We're going to send you off the break. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and we'll catch you on the flip side. We're taking out the trash. Get ready for Ginger's Garbage. All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed enjoyed a little segment there from triple g and we're gonna get into some nfl chat we're gonna go fast and furious there and we're gonna start off with what we learned in week two of the nfl season and what we learned was injuries matter week one we got away with it not a whole lot of major injuries and then bam Week two, Carson Wentz, Tua Tungavailoa, Baker Mayfield, Andy Dalton, Tyrod Taylor, and the list will go on and continue. Some of the big names, and not only big names in the league, but also big names at the quarterback position, which we know how important that is in the NFL. So something to really follow along and really dive into is what's going to happen here. Is Carson Wentz going to be able to play week three? Um, questionable here. Tua Tungavailoa, pain tolerance. We know that there's there's no broken um, bones or any structural damage in those ribs after the hit from AJ Epinesa. Um, so will he be able to return, or will they go with Jacoby Brissett? Baker Mayfield, um, is this a short-term thing, long-term thing? He's going to be able to play through it. Andy Dalton, are we going to see Justin Fields, or are we not going to see Justin Fields? And Tyrod Taylor doesn't look like he's going to be able to play Thursday night. I know Houston's not the sexiest of teams, but uh, you know they'll be uh, they'll be in tough against that vaunted now vaunted Carolina defense, which all those picks starting to pay off for Matt Rule down there in Charlotte. So um, real interesting to see. And what we learned is injuries matter because a lot of these teams: Indy, Miami, Cleveland, Chicago, Houston, cannot stand without their QB one and how important that QB1 position is. And we were reminded of that in Week 2 of NFL football. Following back with what we learned in Week 1 on the penalty front, um, we had a split on the over-unders. We went uh, average scoring, like I said, in 2020 last week was uh, you know 48, I believe, 48.5 points um, on average per team. So team totals were about 24, just over 24 on average per team, per game in the NFL season in 2020 with no fans. 
now we had a split of eight and eight. So if we we took that, you know, forty eight and a half on the on the the overall total, we were split eight and eight. Last week we were ten to six on that under. So scoring starting to rise a little bit overall through two weeks. It's comparatively to the twenty twenty season. We're still down three points on average per team. So that point about fans mattering, we're going to follow this through all the way through to the uh, the end of the year. Um, I'm not going to give you the week-by-week updates, but um, I'll check back at midseason and let you know. In terms of the penalties for false starts and offensive holding, we've still seen an uptake in those. And to me, with the fans back and an uptick in penalties, especially this taunting penalty BS, um, then I think... Uh, we're going to see scoring come down, back down to size here in 2021. And speaking of BS, you heard it on our little clip there as we went through break. We've got the return of Ginger's garbage. I've got two pieces of trash I want to throw out. And number one being that, which I just talked about. And that is the NFL and this taunting bullshit. Okay, this is professional football. This is grown-ass men. With a lot of emotion, with now, which they haven't had for two years, 65, 75, 80,000 screaming fans in the crowd cheering them on. Come on, NFL. Let these guys play. Let them show this emotion. All this taunting bullshit and spinning the ball and you're throwing a 15-yard flag. Let the boys play. I get it. When it gets excessive, throw the flag. But let's get some warnings in there. Let these guys know. Give them an opportunity to show the emotion. Give them an opportunity to show some personality. And enough with the 15-yard taunting bullshit flags. That's Ginger's Garbage number one. Ginger's Garbage number two. For once, can we have some coaches stick on the gas pedal? And I'm calling out, and I know I said he's one of the best all-time greats, but I'm calling out two coaches specifically here in Ginger's Garbage this week. Number one, Andy Reid. Number two, Mike Zimmer. Andy Reid put the foot on the gas pedal, my friend. You've got Patrick Mahomes, second and ten from the 32 with an opportunity to go win the game. Trust the man. You trusted him to win you Super Bowls. Trust him to go down and at least get you closer than the 32, right? He may not get you seven, but if he can complete one or two more passes, then you can run the ball a few times. But you're only handing the ball to Clyde Edwards-Alaire 13 times in the entire football game. And when it matters the most, you put it in his hands? Come on, Andy Reid. Leave it in number 15's hands. Let him go win you the football game. Let him go and give you an opportunity to at least get better field position. If not, get a little tutty and absolutely end that game. I think they handed one to Lamar. I'm not downplaying Lamar. He had an absolutely fantastic game. And let me tell you, he's looking like that MVP season again. So he's doing a great job. But uh, I'm putting that one on Andy Reid and the coaching staff there on Kansas City. Number two, Mike Zimmer. Same thing. Keep going. Put the foot on the gas pedal, Mike Zimmer. I know Dutch called me immediately after the game. He was pissed and he was hot. I wish I had him here now because he'd be just as fired up as uh, as me. But those are my two gingers garbage. NFL, enough with the taunting BS. Andy Reid, Mike Zimmer, foot on the fucking gas pedal. Go win the football game. And that's gingers garbage. And to end off this week's episode, we're going to flip it over to games lines now. 
tough week looking at week three and and you know I know a lot of our listeners, hey, Ginger, we want to hear the picks. We want to know, you know, give me seven or eight. Give me all your picks. I want to hear them. Listen, um, good solid week for me. I'm right in around the uh, the 500 uh, spot through two weeks. There's been 32 games in the NFL season, 15, 16, and 1. I'm not going to BS you. So I'm just a tiny bit below 500 in terms of the up-to-date spreads. But it's hard. And, and you're going to hear it uh, um, tonight. There are going to be a couple games that I'm going to have to pass on because it's not Friday. And we don't know the injury report to sit here, like I said, on Tuesday night and give you, um, you know, who I'm taking. It, it, it could change. So what we're going to start to do, we're going to start to post our picks on the social media. You'll get our Thursday golf picks and Friday, Saturday, you'll get our uh, our NFL picks and get you something a little up to date after we see that Friday injury report. You know, the perfect example, uh, Cleveland, Chicago. Who's playing? Is Andy Dalton in? Is Andy Dalton out? What's going on with Baker Mayfield? Is he going to be able to practice? Where's he at? So, you know, that's a minus seven line there for Cleveland. So we're passing on that one, right? So there's a lot of games um, that you need to know kind of who's playing, what's going on. Rumor, Another one, uh, the Steelers, Ben Roethlisberger dealing with a pectoral injury. Can't get the ball down the field. We've seen that not only in week one, but even more pronounced in week two. Um, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster didn't run a route past four yards down the field um, when you look at his route tree. So uh, that's another game, minus 3.5 for Pittsburgh, 43.5 on the the game total, passing on that one. But I'll give you a few games that I like here early. Um, Thursday, same thing, Tyrod Taylor, don't know what's happening there. A couple guys for Carolina's defense are possibly in and out, so we'll wait and see on, um, on that. So... The game I do like, though, Ravens and Detroit. Ravens minus 8, 49 game total. I like the under on the 49 game total there. I love New England minus 3 against the Saints at home, 42 on the game total. That's a tough one to to call, but I like New England. Um, I just can't see Jameis Winston coming up into New England with that solid defense. We've seen what they did against Zach Wilson and the Jets last week. Like I said on last week's podcast, so I'm riding New England again. I think they get to two and one, and and win against the Saints minus three. Indy, I'll tell you right now, if if it's Eason and not Wentz, I love Tennessee minus five at home. I think they've got an opportunity to cover that. I think this Washington Buffalo spread at plus eight and a half game total forty six. I like Washington. I'm so I'm sold on Taylor Henneke. I think he can do a good job. This Bills defense. You're never as good as you look. You're never as bad as you look. Had a tough second half against Pittsburgh. I know they had the blocked uh, punt for, for the touchdown, but you're never as good as you look. They go down to Miami, absolutely dominate. They're somewhere in between there. I think Washington keeps this game closer than 8.5. I think Buffalo wins. They do what they've done in the Sean McDermott era. Win games they should win, but maybe not cover. Chiefs Chargers, hard call, 55.5. Interesting game total there. That's a lot of points. Um, you're talking about a 30-plus burger for both those teams. Herbert and Mahomes, I'm looking forward to that one Sunday at 1 o'clock. Over to the 4 o'clock lines now. Love Vegas, minus 3.5 against Miami. I think Miami's in shambles. Um, I can't see Tua Tungavailoa playing. If he does, I'm not sold on him. Uh, Jacoby Brissett's a game manager. He can step in and do an okay job for you. But Vegas is hot right now. They found a way to get um, Henry Ruggs the ball. They've also found a way and had the emergence of the slushy, I call him, 
Get him at your 24-7. Give him at your 7-11 because he's open all day long, folks. Um, and that is Hunter Renfro. This guy is, to me, the next Cole Beasley. He is just a precision route runner, and he's up and coming on the uh, the wide receiver scene, and he's going to continue to get more and more targets from Derek Carr week in, week out. Love Minnesota on the money line here. Um, underdogs at home dogs. Minus one and a half from Seattle. I've talked about Seattle for a while. I think it's a step back. Absolutely blew it there in the home opener against uh, Tennessee. And I think uh, both of those teams, when historically you look at those two teams play, it's always a tight game. Always a tight game. It's it's interconference game, not interdivisional. But these two teams play each other close. Love the value for Minnesota. 0-2. Played some good games. Lost a, a game they shouldn't have. Had no business losing against Arizona. I think they they come back at home here and uh, beat the Seattle Seahawks. Love the value for Minnesota. Tampa, I think they're the best team in football. Uh, we might be watching the best uh, the best team since the early um, 2000s or mid-2000s uh, Patriots. Tampa minus one. Another 55-point uh, total on the game total there. Another interesting high number that you've seen on the board. But I love Tampa minus one there. Green Bay, San Fran. They're two teams that uh, that we don't know who they are yet here through two weeks. Um, is Green Bay as bad as they look? Probably not. Um, is San Fran as good as they look? I know they struggled a little bit last week in a little bit of a tighter game, but um, I think this is a little bit of a litmus test in week three here for these two squads, um, for two coaches that are really trying to find out who they are. And then the big game on Monday Night Football. I love the Cowboys, minus four. Nice win uh, on the road in uh, SoFi Stadium against the Chargers. I like it. I'm taking the Cowboys minus four, 51.5 on the game total. I'll stay away from that, but I'll take the Cowboys minus four. Folks, what another great episode. We just keep rolling here on Triple G. We've got a great lineup of guests coming up for the fall season. We're going to sprinkle a little bit of old boy in. Um, Dutch is starting to slow down on the golf side. We'll sprinkle a little bit of him in as well, so he'll be joining us here in the next month or so. Other than that, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the Ryder Cup. Enjoy week three of NFL football. And we'll catch you on the flip side.